Today, we're going to take a look at uh, the Word of God, which is just a foundation and a pillar of what we do at Gateway Church. We love the Word of God, right? Does anyone here love the Word of God? Hey, like it is just transformative, right? The Word of God is just so beautiful. And so I wanted to start out just with something that's on my phone. I have this thing called facial recognition. Do you guys have this on your phone where you just like have to look at it and then it'll open up because it recognizes your face, right? Like I had a grandma who had dementia and she didn't know who I was, but this phone knows me, right? Like have you ever met that person? You've met them like two times, three times, four times. You have to keep telling them what your name is. And, and they don't remember who you are, but this phone knows who I am, right? This phone recognizes me, and it's pretty awesome. If I hold this phone up to Susan, it's not going to open, right? Because this phone is recognized by my face. And we're going to talk today a lot about recognition. You see, there's lots of different avenues and pieces to this, and we're going to recognize some things in the Word of God and we're going to spend some time with him as we just kind of jump into this idea of recognizing. Now, um, I just wanted to highlight our artists. So over here on this side, we have some art pieces. We've activated our artists, and they have been doing a different piece each week to connect with our sermon series. And so this one was um, that I am known, because we're talking about identity, Right? And that we need to know that we are known by God, right? And this one here was new life, right? That's my identity, that I have new life in Jesus Christ. And today, this one is called redeemed, right? My identity is that I am redeemed. And so I want to just say thank you so much to Maria and to Darlene and to Nigel as they've been working on these pieces. And Nigel's also been working on something else over here, and I haven't even seen it. Oh, it's fantastic. And he's going to talk about it a little bit at the end of the service. So I love that artistic creativity, hey? The flags at the front, the worship, the music, our hands in the air, paint all over the place. This is like my sweet spot. Well, we're going to take a look at the book of Ruth. And so if you want to open it up on your phone, <laughs> use your facial recognition, open up your phone, and uh, we're going to start with Ruth 1, and I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Now, there's only four chapters, so it's an easy read for you to do. Maybe this afternoon you're going to go lay at the beach, or you're going to go uh, lay in the grass, or sit on your deck, and, and I encourage you, read this book. It's so fantastic. So I'm going to paraphrase, and then I'm going to weave in a few scriptures that I want to highlight as we take a look at this story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. You see, Ruth was recognized by God. She was recognized in her time by God. She had a purpose. She had something that God wanted to do through her. And let me say to you, if you haven't heard in a little while, you are recognized by God. You know, I love what Courtney was praying today, right? The great I am. That's who God is. God's like, I am who I am. But guess what, church? You are recognized by the great I am. He loves you. You are recognized. 
And, and this story that we're going to take a look at of Ruth, it's all about redeeming love. And you're going to see in this story, there's a lot of mistakes that have been made, but God redeems. Why? Because we are recognized by him. We are welcomed into his family, and when we are, he redeems. That's just his character. That's who he is. So starting in Ruth at the beginning there, there's this man named Elimelech, and he was from Bethlehem, and he has a wife whose name is Naomi. And I think there's a photo of a family tree, just kind of help give you a little bit of context. There's, there's a, a Limelech and Naomi, husband and wife, and they have these two sons, Malon and Killian. Now, Malon is married to Ruth, and Killian is married to Orpah. Now, what happened is that there was a great famine in the land of Bethlehem. And this is where Elimelech and Naomi were living. They were in Bethlehem, and there's this big famine. And so they decide that they're going to go to Moab, which is about 50 miles away. took them probably 7 to 10 days to walk there. But they decide they're going to go to Moab because there's food there, and there's, there's no famine like there is where they are in Bethlehem. Well, here's the thing is that when we look at the Old Testament and the words of God, God had promised that he would provide for the Israelites. He had promised that there would be provision, there would be blessing, if what? They trusted in him. And so here's the first mistake that we can take a look at. And we're not pointing a finger in condemnation. We're just, we're just like, hey, just like us, just like we make mistakes all the time, these guys made a mistake. And the first one was that they didn't trust God. And they decided, no, no, no we're not going to wait for provision here in this place. We're, we're not going to wait for God. We're going to go ahead of the plan, and we're going to go to Moab because we've heard that there's food there. Well, how many of us have done the same thing. You know, we didn't go to Quinnell or Hickson because there was a famine in Prince George, but we also didn't wait on the Lord. The Lord promised us something, and we were not patient enough for that thing to be fulfilled, and so we go ahead of the Lord. Anyone here? Anyone ever done that? Well, we go ahead of the Lord. And here's the problem, is that if I have a struggle and a challenge, and there's something that I'm going through here in Prince George, and I move thinking it will all get better and go away, that's not going to happen, is it? We take our baggage, we take our messiness, we take our problems, we take our lack of faith, right? Our lack of faith in the Lord with us wherever it is that we move. And this isn't an advertisement that you should never leave Gateway Church or Prince George. If God's called you somewhere else, that's okay. But what I'm saying is we're so quick that when things get hard, things get difficult, we run away. Let's look for another option. Let's not wait patiently on the Lord. And that's exactly what happened here. And so Elimelech and Naomi, they go to Moab and while they're there, and they've got their two sons, Elimelech dies. Ma Naomi helps her sons to get married. And here's the second thing that happens that shouldn't have happened. Naomi encourages marriages between her Israelite sons and foreigners. And here's another thing that they were told not to do. They were told not to marry foreigners. Now, this isn't applicable to us today, not at all. But in this day, this is what God had called of them. He had said to them, do not marry foreigners. Why? 
because he didn't want them to take on the gods of the foreigners, right? The New Testament doesn't say don't marry foreigners, but it does say don't marry unevenly yoked, right? And why is that? Because God wants to establish healthy families. And he knows that there's so many challenges already in a family, in a marriage, in relationship, that adding a lack of unity in faith is not one that you just want to start out with. And so he's saying to them, don't marry foreigners. It wasn't about race. It was all about devotion to him. Stay devoted to me. Stay close to me. Stay focused on me. Don't get distracted with all that other stuff. And that's what happened in the land of Moab. There were all these other distractions and all these other gods. This was a mistake. Now, Naomi and her sons and their wives live in Moab for about 10 years. And I don't know exactly why, because the Lord doesn't tell us, but they don't ever have children. Isn't that interesting, hey? Isn't that interesting? As they had not honored God, I wonder if that's why it was withheld from them that they would have no children. And so both of the sons, the husbands, they die, and now Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, are left with no husbands and no children. And in the ancient world, to be a childless widow was amongst the most um, disadvantaged class in the ancient world. There was nobody to support you. They didn't have an insurance system like we have, right? Where a widow might inherit some kind of property or insurance. It was very different in these days. And so if you were with no husband and no sons, you were destitute. You were relying on the goodness of other people. And so Naomi is in this desperate place, right? She's in a foreign land with foreign daughter-in-laws who love her, and she loves them, but she's, she has no provision. She has no one to take care of her. And in Ruth 1.6, it says, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord was blessing people in Judah. Back in her home country, her hometown, the Lord was blessing and giving them good crops again. And so she knows she wants to be a part of what God is doing. And don't we... Don't we want to be a part of the things that God is doing? You see, Naomi was different than the others. She didn't worship the gods of Moab. She worshiped the great I am. I am who I am, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. That was her Lord and King, the, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. And so Naomi is set apart and when she hears this call that there's good things going on, I can imagine her spirit just leaps and she's just like, I've got to go home. I've got to go back to what's familiar and what is safe and where I know I will be protected, where I know that there will be provision, where I know that I will survive. And so she goes back to, um, back to Bethlehem. Now, before she goes, she says to her daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah, that they should go back to their Moabite families. They should try to remarry. They should try to find a hope in a future, try to have a family. And so Orpah decides to go back to her Moabite family. But Ruth insists on staying with Naomi. And these are probably some of my favorite words in this whole book. Ruth says 
to Naomi. So Ruth is the daughter-in-law. She says to her mother-in-law, Naomi, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. And here's the most significant part. And your God will be my God. You see, Ruth was willing to not just have a change of address and not just follow her mother-in-law around looking for food, but Ruth was willing to say, your God will be my God. I will set aside all of the pagan traditions, all the things that I've learned as a family member in a land where foreign gods were so common. I will set all of that apart. I will set it aside and I will follow your God will be my God. She was willing to follow God to Bethlehem, but she was willing to draw near to him. And so 10 years of Naomi compromising in the land of Moab didn't make her daughter-in-laws step forward and say, I'll follow your God. But here, when Naomi says, I'm going to do the right thing, I'm going to go back to the land of, of, of Judah. I'm going to go to Bethlehem. I'm going to get back on that pathway where I'm supposed to be following God, where I'm connected to God. And in that moment, Ruth says, okay, I see your faith and I will follow you. Church, so often we think that we are witnessing when we are living in compromise. And Ruth was living in compromise for 10 years Sorry, not Ruth, Naomi. Naomi was living in compromise for 10 years. And when, it's, when she takes this bold step and says, no, I'm going to follow God, that's when there's salvation. That's when then Ruth says, okay, I want to follow. I want to go there. So Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem, and the town is all stirred up. There's this facial recognition of Naomi, right? They're excited to see her because she's somebody who's grown up in Bethlehem, but she's been gone for 10 years. And she comes in and she's so honest and real. She's not like, oh yeah, you know, had a fantastic time in Moab. Like, oh, it was just such a great time, right? No, no, no. She is so real. Naomi is so real. And she says, I'm returning home empty-handed. And, and it's been difficult. It's been rough. It's been hard, but here I am returning. And so they return at the time of the barley harvest. And in Ruth 2.1, it says that Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. You see, 10 years ago, when that difficult decision needed to be made, and Elimelech and Naomi decided to go to Moab, Boaz made a different choice. And he stayed in Bethlehem. He stayed in the promised land. And he becomes a very wealthy man, it says. Now, Boaz was a part of the clan, which was an extended family. And uh, I, I've shared before, my dad is one of 10 brothers and sisters. There's about 100 plus of us from my grandparents down. We're like a clan, you know, like there's a lot of us. And if we were to register, you know, how many males and how many females and how many children do you have in your home? There's a lot of us. 
Well, what they did in these times is they would, they would establish this clan, which was this large group of your ancestry, right? And, and it might be that there's hundreds of men that would be registered as part of, part of your clan. And because sometimes uh, family members struggle financially and get into debt, what they would do is they would set apart somebody in the clan, in the family tree, that would be the kinsman redeemer. That person, that man, would be able to come alongside of somebody who is really struggling and to be able to help them out, to, to be able to protect them. And so they designated a male called a goel. And it would, ha- it would be to help members of the family that were in struggle, in need. And in English, this word literally is kinsman redeemer. All right? You got that? Say kinsman redeemer. Okay, so when it, if I'm struggling, if I'm widowed and I have no sons, I have no children, I, and I can't own property on my own because I'm a woman, then I need to go to my family kinsman redeemer who would help me through so that I'm, I'm not going to starve. I'm not going to lose everything. And so the kinsman redeemer would purchase the property that I had, and they would keep it in the clan's possession. So if a man uh, was married and he died, then the wife would be then inherited or gifted to the kinsman redeemer, right? So it sometimes could have been a brother-in-law or an uncle or a cousin, and so then the woman would be protected by the kinsman redeemer. And so Naomi needs to sell her property because she's not allowed to own it by herself, and I know it sounds um, so foreign to us uh, in such a modern world, but this is the culture of the ancient world. And so she's got this daughter-in-law, uh, Ruth, who she wants to bless, and she wants her to have a family, but she's also got this land. And so Naomi knows that there's this obligation of the kinsman redeemer. She knows it. She's grown up with it. Like, it's the culture. It's the conversation. And so she knows that Boaz is one of the kinsman redeemers for their clan. And so she encourages Ruth to, to glean in the field and to get to know Boaz a little bit. And she kind of sets some things in motion as mother-in-laws often do. You know, just setting up things, just orchestrating things, just connecting things together because they can see the big picture. And that's exactly what Naomi does. And so Ruth is favored by Boaz, and he goes before the family clan, and he has to offer the redemption, the kinsman redeemer, to the first in line, and that gentleman says, no, I I can't, I can take the property, but not the wife. Kind of made me wonder what his first wife was like, and maybe he's just like, no, I can't add any more estrogen to my home. I can can handle the land, but I can't handle another woman, (laughs) right? Anyways, he's like, nope, nope, can't do it. And Boaz agrees to redeem the family by purchasing the land and also by marrying Ruth. And I love this story. I love it so much. Like there's just this romanticism to it, this beauty and this protection. And you know, as a woman, we, we love to feel secure and to feel safe and to feel provided for. And I love that Boaz comes in and he provides for Naomi and Ruth and he redeems the family. 
And so they get married and they have a son. And then the women say to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. The Lord is your redeemer. He is your kinsman redeemer. And if you continue on at the end of chapter 4, it's so magnificent and glorious how God takes our stories and he weaves it and weaves it together for his glory. At the end, it says that there's these generations and it names all of the fathers and the men and Boaz fathered Obed and Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered David. King David. And who was he the ancestor of? Jesus Christ. And so God takes a foreign woman who surrenders her, her heart to him. And he redeems her. And she not only marries Boaz, but she gets to be the great-grandmother of David. King David. Who would then be in the family tree of Jesus Christ, our Messiah. And so all because of this story of Ruth and Boaz, Joseph and Mary have to go back to Bethlehem to register for their family. And Jesus is born in Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecies because Ruth and Boaz, because Boaz was a kinsman redeemer, because God used a messed up family just like yours and mine, and he redeemed it. And here comes the story of Jesus Christ. Is that not incredible? Is that not, right? Right? You see, you just can't make this stuff up. Like, God is so glorious how he pulls these things together. It's just magnificent. And you know, for us, we don't operate out of the same traditions uh, where we need a kinsman redeemer. I mean, I love my brother-in-law, but if Dwayne dies, I'm not marrying him. Like... <laughs> I love you, dude, but no, I'm just, uh, it's just not the world that we live in. Praise Jesus, hey? Praise Jesus. Like, just think of your brother-in-law or your sister-in-law. You might be called to marry her, right? And so our world is so different. And so sometimes it can feel like the story is so far away and so disconnected. But you see, Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. We know that we have sin and that, that um, the wages of sin is eternal death. Eternal death. You know, just this morning, I was like, Jesus, I just want to go to heaven. I, I'm not going to jump off a bridge. I'm not. But I just want to be in his presence. I just want to be in that place where he is fully, right? Because I have sin. This world is hard. This world is difficult sometimes. This world is a challenge. But I have a redeemer. I have a redeemer who wants to meet me right now, right here today. And he is preparing a place for me. And you are redeemed. I want you to say, I am redeemed. I want you to say it like you mean it. You see, God decided to show us the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
Amen, sister. Hey, his only begotten son. And we just say those words sometimes, but let them soak down deep into your heart. Jesus Christ is your kinsman redeemer. You see, a kinsman redeemer, just biblically, has to be a close relative. And so Jesus, what does he do? Fully God decides he's going to add to his deity, his godness. He's going to add humanity so that he could what? He could be our kin. So he could be our kin. So he could be our kinsmen. So he could be our family. So that he could adopt us into his God family. That's what he does, right? You see, a kinsman redeemer has to be a close relative. And Jesus is closer than a brother, right? He's closer than a sister. Jesus Christ is the closest one to us through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And you know, you've been bought with a price. And I think sometimes we forget on Monday morning or Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning That we have been bought and paid for with the priceless blood of Jesus Christ. You know, he is our kinsman redeemer. And we get to enjoy the privileges, the inheritance of being a co-heir with Christ. Why? Because Jesus redeems. Because Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. And you see, the second one is that a redeemer has to be willing Right? In our story with Ruth and Boaz, the first kinsman redeemer was like, no, I can't take that on. The second said, yes, there has to be a willingness. And Jesus willingly walks to the cross and is crucified for you so that he could be your kinsman redeemer. And he not only walks, but he says to God, I'm going to do it with joy. I am going to do it because We together have a plan. These people are messed up and broken and they need us. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit say. And the third one is that a kinsman redeemer had to be rich enough to pay the redemption price. And isn't that our good news? That God is rich in glory by Jesus Christ. That through Christ we have been redeemed and we don't need to fear because we are his. He calls us his beloved. Peter says, you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. What a price for your redemption. Would someone say amen? Amen. Come on, church. Amen. Right? It doesn't matter what kind of house you got or car you got or what kind of money you got in the bank. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's only the precious blood of Jesus Christ that will redeem you. That's it. There is no substitute His blood is more valuable than anything else. And he says, oh, my child, I want to redeem you. I want to redeem you. And so he adopts us into his family. He is willing and his blood is rich enough for every one of our mistakes. And this is your identity. This is who you are in Jesus Christ. You see, God could have sent an angel to save us. But an angel is not our kinsman, right? There's no humanity in an angel, a human. He, and he, he could have tried to send a priest or a pastor, 
but there's no deity. It had to be the unity of the two together, fully God and fully man, that could redeem us. In Isaiah 54, 4 to 8, it says, Do not fear, for you will not be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. Your kinsman redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, with everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your kinsman redeemer. You see, we have small thinking, and God does not. He is a God that redeems. You see, we do two things when we are thinking about what we want to recognize, right? We, we do a few things about when we, when we talk about like recognizing who we are in Christ. One... We recognize that we are brothers and sisters in the family of God. Some, some of us are biologically connected and related, but we are all spiritually brothers and sisters and connected. We're all adopted into the family of God. And sometimes we forget this. And sometimes we don't recognize the Jesus in one another. Sometimes we don't recognize the Jesus in our family. And we got messed up families like Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. And sometimes we don't recognize that God is in each other. And so what do we do? We treat each other terribly. There's tension. There's problems. Or we don't want to talk about stuff and we just slough it, you know, under the carpet. Or somebody, somebody's super prickly. Ooh, you know, Auntie so-and-so is really prickly. I don't want to talk to her about that, right? Because we're scared of each other. Because we don't recognize Jesus in one another. And the other thing that we do is we want recognition. When we do something, we want to be recognized, right? We're like, oh, pat me on the back. Recognize me. Recognize my effort. Recognize my accomplishment. Recognize my certification, uh, my education. And those are all wonderful things. But we've confused recognition. I believe God is saying to us today, church, that he won't redeem what we won't recognize. He won't redeem what we won't recognize. And if we get so distracted with the struggle and the storm and the challenge around us, I think we miss the Jesus in each other, and we miss the Jesus in us, and we miss the Jesus in the storm. And these are just things that are a distraction. Jesus wants to redeem our situations. But first, we have to recognize it, right? We have to recognize that in some areas, we have a lack of integrity. We have to recognize it. God's not going to grow my godly character if I never admit to him I need to work on my godly character. Right? What about staying committed to a project what about communicating with love with other people? What about forgiveness? What about letting go of the past, right? If I don't recognize those difficulties, those struggles, and I'm not looking at the guy beside me, right, and pointing out what they need to recognize, like, oh, yeah, you really need to recognize this, like, you know. No, 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 I'm just looking at me. What do I need to recognize, because if I won't recognize it and I won't open it up to Jesus, he won't redeem it. Can he redeem it? Yes. Does he want to? Yes. But he won't go where he's not invited. 
And so I got these, these spots, you know, deep down in my heart, these tender places that I don't want Jesus to come into because it might hurt a little bit. I might actually have to look at my behavior and how my behavior needs to be redeemed, how my actions need to be redeemed, how I love people. It needs to be redeemed. See, I've been praying this week for a smashing and an explosion, a shattering of our pride, our selfishness and our greed and our jealousy, our suspicions of one another and our gossip and our broken relationships. I've been praying this week that Jesus would open our eyes to these tender places and say, yes, Jesus, I invite you in. Would you redeem these things? Would you redeem these things? Paul says in Ephesians 1.18 that we need to have eyes um, of our hearts that are enlightened, right? The eyes of our heart would be enlightened. And that means I'm stepping in and I'm saying, yes, God, come into these places and redeem them. We don't need more religion. We need more revelation. We need to recognize our own behavior, struggle, lack of. And we need to step in and we need to have a focus on Jesus Christ in our day-to-day lives so that he can gently redeem those different areas. You see, the enemy wants you to not see the truth. The enemy doesn't want you to recognize where it is that your godly character is lacking and God wants to just, you know, press in a little bit, you know, just... Just get in there a little bit. I've been going to massage therapy for a few weeks. And, and she said that, that my muscles are actually in my, in my neck because I get lots of migraines. They're actually starting to be tender enough that she can actually work on the deeper areas of my muscles back in there. But when I first went, it was hard. It was so hardened. It needs to have that massaging. And that only happens when I am every single day saying to Jesus, show me what we need to work on today. What do you need to redeem in me? God won't redeem it if I don't recognize it. I want you to say that. God won't redeem it if I don't recognize it. Again, don't drive home and tell your husband or your wife what they need to have redeemed. Don't drive home and tell your friend Hey, just wanted you to know I recognize this thing in you. Hey, just wanted you to know. Yeah. You should probably work on that. Right? This is about us. Our prickly parts. The places where we've justified our behavior. The places where we've made excuses. The enemy doesn't want us to recognize that we need to grow up spiritually that we need to step up spiritually, that we need to face up spiritually, right? That we need to recognize God in our circumstances, that we need to recognize God in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our storm, in the midst of our struggle. God wants us to recognize him. In 1 Corinthians 13, 11, it says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man... I gave up childish ways. Are you a 20-year-old, a 40-year-old, a 60-year-old, an 80-year-old, still speaking and thinking and acting like a child? Do you need to recognize childish behavior 
and give it up and expose your heart to God so that he can redeem it. We put away childish things because we grow up in Jesus Christ. We put away having temper tantrums, mind games, avoiding conflict, running away, running, trying to please everybody, stressing out, burning out. We put away childish behaviors and we grow up in Jesus Christ. We go to the word of God. If I'm struggling with communication and how to love my brother or sister, if I don't know how to love my husband, where am I going to go? I'm going to go to the word of God. Because it breaks off all unredemption. It breaks off all sin and it breaks me free so that I can learn new ways and new habits and new behaviors so that I can set aside, set aside childish ways and grow in maturity in Christ. You see, we are connected to one another. I impact you and you impact me. And when we are behaving childishly, we impact one another, don't we? But when we are growing up together in Christ, having grace for each other because we make mistakes, right? Then we urge each other on to grow up, to open our hearts, and to say, yeah, God, would you come and would you redeem those places where I need to spiritually grow? The three things that I don't want you to go home without today is one, that Jesus is your kinsman redeemer. There is nothing he cannot forgive that you have done. There is nothing he cannot redeem in your life. Somebody say amen. Amen. The second thing I want you to go home with today, knowing that God won't redeem if you don't recognize it. God won't redeem. Say that. God won't redeem if I don't recognize it. Church, let's recognize those places where we need to grow up. And the third one is that we would have our eyes focused on Jesus. Hey, that we would, just as Jesus says, I do what the Father does that we would do what Jesus does. You know, just today before the service, I was like, Jesus, the way that you shared stories, I want to share stories like you shared stories. The way that you love the church and talk to people, I want to love the church and talk to people like that. The way that you believed in people, made room for people, the way that you forgave people, I want to do those things because when I look in your word, you're the most incredible example I want to do the things you do, Jesus, because you reflect the heart of the Father. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And as they do, I just want to remind you that Jesus was born out of a messy family. Hey, Jesus wasn't messy. Jesus isn't messy. But he was born out of a messy family that had made a lot of mistakes, had disobeyed, and God redeemed that family. Jesus is in the business of redeeming families. And if you feel like your struggle is too much, that is a lie from the enemy and send it back to the pits of hell because God's word says he will redeem if you invite him in. You see, it doesn't matter if the government changes laws and say that I have to love you and you have to love me. It's a transformation in my heart because of the work of Jesus Christ in me.
that says, I want to love you and you want to love me, right? It's not about religion. It's not about rules. We've had enough of that. It's about a revelation. It's about recognizing God in our midst. And it's about being redeemed. And so I'm going to ask if you would stand. And I just want to close in a prayer over you. I want to ask you to respond. And however it is that you just feel God's presence, how you connect to Jesus, I just want you to invite him in. Just take a deep breath, hey, just like Jesus. I just invite you in. I, uh, the air that I breathe is because you are my father. <laughs> the peace that surpasses all understanding is because you are my redeemer. The darkness is held back because you are my light. Oh, God, how we worship and thank you, Jesus, that you are our kinsman redeemer, that you have adopted us into your family, that your blood is enough no matter what. And so, Jesus, today we just say, please forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for our lack of faith. Forgive us, Lord, for going in a direction when you were calling us somewhere else and we knew it and ignored it. Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us, God, for holding back those places in our heart that we didn't want to expose to you. Holy Spirit, forgive us. Forgive us, God, that in our imperfection, we're messy at loving each other. Forgive us, God, for our prickly places, Lord Jesus. Forgive us that we're struggling to communicate and to be with family and to be with friends. Forgive us that we don't know what to say. Forgive us, God. Lord Jesus, all these things, all these burdens, we just so humbly and reverently leave them at your feet, Lord God. And we ask that you would redeem them, that you would restore our families, our relationships, our character back to your original intent. And that, Lord God, that we would be like a mirror just shining your love and grace, Lord God. Redeem those parts. And Lord God, I just pray that you, Holy Spirit, would fall on this place today, on location and online, that you would just fall on us, Holy Spirit, that you would sharpen our eyes to be able to see you, God, that you would sharpen our ears to hear, Lord God, that the eyes of our heart would be alive and active, that there would be revelation and fresh revelation. Thank you, God. Thank you for being our kinsman redeemer, how we worship you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.